You're listening to The Ground Down, a podcast where we sit down with industry leaders and experts to discuss issues that affect the civil engineering industry. This podcast is brought to you by EHRA Engineering. Welcome. We hope that you enjoy the show. Thank you both for joining uh, or participating in the uh, very first EHRA podcast, The Ground Down. Truman uh, Edminster and Patty Joyner have joined us today. We're going to talk about how this COVID-19 uh, pandemic has had an impact on our industry. Uh, Truman and Patty are both seasoned veterans in our, in our industry. Patty is, uh, is a well-known and very accomplished uh, uh, planner uh, with, a, with an urban uh, background here in the city of Houston. And Truman is a, uh, is a very well-seasoned uh, uh, civil engineer with, uh, or shall I say, a, a planner with a civil engineering degree. So uh, he is, uh, he, he uh, along with Patty, uh, together they make an incredible team on, uh, on accomplishing a lot of the projects that a lot of people haven't the, even really thought of yet. Uh, so, but it's a, it's, a, it's a great combination. We're excited to have both y'all here. Thank y'all very much for volunteering to do this. And uh, we'll go ahead and get started. Uh, our first topic that uh, I'd like for you two to discuss and share your thoughts are is, is that what are your thoughts about the potential long-term effects that the COVID-19 pandemic has had on our industry? I'll let you guys take it from there. Truman? Patty? You wanna lead off? Ladies first. <laughs> Well, um, in my 40 years, and that's when I say those words, it's hard to believe that I've been doing this for 40 years. I think that we have um, learned a lot in the last five weeks. I think that um, and as engineers and planners, we are born to be prepared for things. We're born to be planners and planning for this. Yet, I think one of the things that this COVID-19 has illustrated is that we have got to go back to some basics and preparation. And what I was talking to Truman about this last week, I was thinking of the civil defense days. When I was uh, a little grade schooler in Maynard, Minnesota, if you were in shop and at Helmec and you actually got to volunteer to go and do the civil defense um, inventory in little Maynard High School, and we don't have civil defense preparation in our schools or in our cities or our counties anymore. And so fundamentally at the highest level, we, know we try to be hurricane proof in, in Harris County, but at the end of the day, we need to be thinking health resiliency. And I think that health resiliency is gonna apply across the design field, the planning field, the engineering field. I think it applies to things as I was sending Truman, unfortunately, at all hours of day and night, um, information about how copper and, and bronze alloys are virus resistant and how maybe that should be the new standard for the built environment, whether it's a transit facility, a platform, a bus facility, so that we don't, um, we, we pandemic proof our, our facilities itself, the surfaces of our facilities. And then when you see all the drive-in and all the drive-throughs and how we change the built environment, what is that going to look like? And one of the biggest ones that I think is going to happen is also how we design subdivisions. I think our communities, our schools, our schools and our communities are going to be the new retail. I think we're going to look at seeing schools being the, um, the places where this, the civil defense facilities are, the places where daycare, um, we're, we're not gonna be able to build these Taj Mahals for schools. We're gonna have to have facilities where parents and grandparents and aunts and uncles can come and have lunch and brunch with their kids. They can come in and have daycare there. They can have um, all the facilities. Developers don't need to build separate pools. They could maybe build a community center that's part of a school. So I think we're gonna see that we're gonna be more resilient financially, more resilient design-wise, more resilient in land uses and, and land use allocations. And I think we're gonna find that accessibility to transit, walkability, bikes, is also gonna be on the top of the, 
of the list for how we design resilient communities. It's just going to broaden that definition. And adding to that on what Patty's been uh, just saying that, and this is really based on the, some of the discussions that we've had, uh, particularly last week. I do believe that subdivision design is going to be significantly influenced by uh, this pandemic. And like Patty said, I concur. It's going to be school centric, particularly elementary schools with associated rec centers, or let's even uh, call them community centers like uh, Patty's used. This is not really uncommon from what we experienced here in Houston, quite honestly, post-World War II. And for whatever reasons, got away from that type of uh, positioning and uh, lookout, just like uh, essentially civil defense has gone by the wayside in recent decades. We here in Houston are very fortunate. We have an incredibly resilient and I'm going to say very industrious community, people helping people. Don't let the, you know, the bad stuff get you down, and I'm here to help lift you up. I expect every reason to continue to see those uh, types of attributes here in our Houston community. However, it's going to be going through different phases. Right now, I'm going to say we're in the midst uh, and shock stage of what we're experiencing with the pandemic. We're going to get to, I think, you know, after hopefully we get over the peak of things and we can start uh, generating business somewhat back to normal. Uh, however, gradually that it may be, the anger is going to set in and it's going to have a lot of focus on the lack of preparedness that we had uh, for this type of situation. I do believe that there's going to be movement demographically that we're going to see more people in the short term and particularly as even millennials uh, they're getting to the age where they're marrying and wanting to start families that there's going to be a move to the suburbs out of the city center here in the near term while also at the same time the urban areas are going to work on their resiliency and preparedness for any type of next episode that may happen Therefore, we're gonna have a strain, I believe, on housing inventory. Uh, we're already seeing with lot supplies that they're down and that they're out of equilibrium, that, we, that there's not gonna be enough. I think that's gonna have a strain on the housing industry. The supply chain may put a further uh, strain on the supply for the housing industry. Now, the positive thing with this pandemic certainly has been, I know that I'm gonna be a lot more tech savvy coming out of it on the other side, and that we're gonna be able to do a lot more without having to have face-to-face -face or at least person-to-person -person physical meetings with individuals, but we can do more uh, digitally over the internet, uh, whether it be uh, Zoom, Teams, or whatever platform that may be employed. We're also probably gonna find that there's gonna be a high increase in office space vacancies as we realize out of necessity that we can really work remotely and still be maybe not a hundred percent efficient but pretty dang close and I think that that has been a good testament to the abilities in our industry to keep things rolling forward. So both of y'all mentioned um of how, of course, this, you know, and we'll come back to this topic later on in the, in the podcast of, of, of how it's going to have an impact on how we live, uh, urban versus suburban. But both of y'all uh, uh, chimed in on the same note on schools. Can y'all elaborate on your thought process beyond, behind, uh, behind the, the statement of how this is going to have an impact on how schools are, are uh, designed moving forward into the future? So um, I've been involved in a lot of podcasts or webinars over the last five weeks, listening to ULI, different industries talking about retail and what's gonna happen to retail post-COVID. And if retail was on life support um, uh, pre-COVID, 
most people think retail is, you know, really, um, is a, it's on a, you know, to use a Corvid term, it's on a respirator at this point. And everybody's going to have to be very creative on how we design the, um, the built environment for subdivisions. And I think we're going to see hyper-local uh, companies coming out of this. Our retail is going to be uh, neighborhood retail. I think we're going to see programmable space. It's going to be a lot of indoor-outdoor space because, again, planning for the next episode, as Truman calls it, which is a lovely way of, you know, better saying than the next pandemic. Um, the next episode is how do we design a resilient community? And one of the things that makes us distance resilient is having outdoor space and having programmable space that more people can congregate, but they're just not going to be in a building. And I think you're going to see the, 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 uh, the reason schools come to my mind is we're not going to have big malls anymore. We weren't going to have them anyway. Now it's just going to be pushing us into what, what is the gathering space for community. And schools, as Truman said, in fact, we were looking at where he was raised in, in Stella Link. Um, the schools were, the, were the, the base of that community. And I think you're going to see that schools will change. There's nothing to prevent us from having a school that has the, the, the pool, the community center, have a bistro, have indoor outdoor activities, um, concert facilities that are indoor outdoor, so that we can make the schools that center of action for that neighborhood. And that way, whatever is gonna be for services, whether it's the, the uh, pharmacy, the dry cleaners, some of the things that are that we we can't outsource those. You still aren't going to have to go pick up pick up your pharmacy or pick up your meal. It's just that it's going to be designed slightly differently, and I even think physically it'll be designed differently. Um, but schools are an obvious opportunity to um, become the anchor and kind of replace what we normally thought of as the two or three hundred thousand square foot retail at the corner of X major thoroughfare and Y major thoroughfare. I think that people are shopping more than ever from their laptops and now it's on steroids. If you all saw the graph that shows your automobile expenses are down, your insurance is down, but your internet bill for uh, whatever your choice of, of shopping is replaced that expense in your budget. And the example they gave was, you know, $1,400 a month now becomes your grocery and, and Amazon bill as opposed to your gas and entertainment bill. Schools can be that entertainment for our communities. And the reason I say daycare would be a centerpiece is right now you have families, and I, I experienced this as an employer, but I experienced it as a city planning department head. People were late for work because they took this child of this daycare and that child of this school and dropped them off and and if now we start putting daycare as a centerpiece of schools and we have pre-K and we have post-school um, uh, post uh, class day after school programs in the school, now you'll have your schools being more efficient and they'll be operating 12, 14 hours a day. And kids will have a place to go. They won't be running the streets, so to speak. So I think schools, have to be explored. And as Truman and I were brainstorming this last week, it doesn't happen just because the planning profession and the engineering profession think it's a good idea. We've got to engage the principals and the superintendents and the school boards. And we have 24 or 25 school districts in our county, just in Harris County, not counting all the other 14 counties that make up HJC. We should probably ask HJC to have a panel where we talk about how do, we, how do we make schools the center of the action for our region so that we get buy-in from the boards, the school boards and the, and the principals and superintendents and, and parents? Well, aren't schools really kind of a center of focus in subdivisions or developments anyway? They are, especially when you're in a good school district. But then we know we've got some school districts that are challenged and they're challenging and HISD being one of them since the state wants to take it over, North Forest, Aldine, those, those school districts have challenges. 
and consequently the subdivisions have challenges. So you can't, a developer can't command a $300,000 home in some of those school districts because the schools aren't that good and there's a perception they're not that good or there's a reality they're not that good. So they don't have home buyers. So this is an opportunity to fix that dilemma too. I mean, as Truman said, if there's gonna be some, some silver linings out of this, I think we should use it as an opportunity to fix some of these educational challenges we have in some of our school districts across the region. Truman, what are your thoughts? Well, with that said, that I, I, I reflect back to, you know, the area that a town that I grew up in. It had a, essentially had an elementary school in the center of it that was walkable from essentially the a uh, little bit less than a square mile uh, area around it. And right next door to it was a recreation center. Now let's go ahead and uh, put that in 21st century terms. I'm still saying that that elementary school can be the center of activity, uh, put that community center that's gonna be next to it uh, that has a lot of these other facilities uh, that Patty has been talking about, the you know, daycare, uh, eating facilities, places for grandma and grandpa to go during the day, uh, ways that you know, grandpa and grandma can work with the elementary school kids. There's gonna, it's a, in my way of thinking, it's a symbiotic relationship on what's gonna be beneficial to that neighborhood. There's also, you know, perhaps gonna instill more participation by parents and even single households by being more vigilant on the safety of children and having those eyes on the street to promote that walkability where not every child has to be ferried back and forth to school. Now, will that happen? Don't know. It depends on what the political will of the communities are going to be that I can foresee where these things can happen and for the betterment of our communities moving forward. So a mention was, was made a minute ago, Patty, by uh, about retail. Um, does, do you think that COVID-19, do you think that is gonna be the eventual death of the brick and mortar retail shop? Or do you think it's just gonna change it to an open air type of environment versus a, an enclosed mall situation? Um, developers are the eternal optimists. So the panels and the webinars and the different things that I've been participating in the last five weeks are saying we're gonna reinvent it. I think, I think almost everybody agrees the enclosed mall with the exception of highly programmed space. And that's why you see the Galleria at the time still attracting because it's a hotel, it's, it's retail, it's entertainment, it's office. Those are the ones that are successful. I think that you're gonna see, you know, we represent a lot of different um, new, I, new um, designs of retail, where when we started the project in 2004, we had 300,000 square feet of retail and 1,800 residential high-density dwelling units sitting on about 20 acres. Now we're gonna have 68,000 square feet of retail, mostly food and beverage, still have the 1,862 dwelling units, but then we introduced new open space, new, um, we call it the green. So we have new, new open space and lots of walkability and lots of areas for people to mix and mingle. And of course, shared, shared drive, drive drop-offs in more organized ways for people to not have to park. They can be close to their, their destination without having to park in a parking garage. So you're seeing um, that change was happening already. And I think we're just gonna see it again, another reinvention of it, especially in our suburban designs. I think you're gonna see it, we're gonna see more retail being um, located where the people are, possibly around the school. Um, also obviously at major intersections of thoroughfares and freeways. I think you're gonna see our transit facilities in our suburban be mixed use and retail, like the first one we did, which we actually, I'm proud to say, it was our idea at uh, SciFair um, Park and Ride. 
It's actually multifamily with first floor retail. And it's so successful that we're expanding it. Metro has to expand it. And I think you're going to see more of that type of retail um, changing that, that platform. And I think you're going to see more residential introduced into strip malls. I don't think you're going to be building just an old-fashioned strip mall anymore. I think you're going to see it becoming mixed residential uses. And back to eyes on the street, like Truman was talking about for neighborhoods like Stella Link, I think you're going to see uh, senior housing coming into play at these facilities. They'll be, they are a perfect land use where they can be co-located with the transit facility, the retail, the school, and the housing, because now those people that, that, and I'm talking about active living, can want to be around their families, their, their grandchildren, their nieces or nephews or whatever, and you're going to see that senior family component marrying up to being that, that land use um, anchor as well. And built-in shoppers for the retail. Mm -hmm. No question about that. Truman, you got anything to add to that? Well, I'm going to echo the thought about uh, the regional mall, I think it's gone the way of the buggy whip. I think that we're going to see uh, much smaller scale retail that gets developed. And of that retail that is developed, it is going to be the mixed use like Patty's described. It's going to be that residential plus retail component all combined in one. Yeah, it definitely is. Uh... And this pandemic has definitely uh, heightened the uh, uh, the need for online shopping. I know that uh, those are most of the trucks and delivery delivery vehicles we see on the street these days. Um, moving on, uh, let's focus for just a second on the positive aspects of what has happened to the greater Houston region. How can this episode uh, benefit our region? What what good uh, can we say has come from this? Remember? Well, this is where I get it. really excited about the change and what we could take advantage of. And Truman and I were literally brainstorming a panel, Henry Cisneros from San Antonio, uh, Jack Matthews from Dallas, our leaders here, Ned Holmes, um, Dick Weekly, um, our port chair, um, Rick Campo. And we should go after all if not as much as we can hang on to, but all of the ability to bring manufacturing to Texas. We should bring our drug manufacturing back here. We are the world's largest medical center. We should bring our manufacturing for medical devices and facilities to Texas. Um, you know, now knowing that we can't get it all, even as much as I'd like Texas and especially Harris County to have it, I think we should uh, use the new bill that um, the president has signed that is the Canadian North American Mexican trade agreement to bring it back to North America at a minimum. And we should be not wasting one minute. We should be convening that, that uh, panel with Governor Abbott and, and Dan Patrick to say, what can we do to be the place that leads the way for the United States to bring these industries to, to, to Texas, because I personally think we have the, the chutzpah to do it. I personally think we have the history of doing things that are very extraordinary in, in extraordinary times. But more importantly, we're a diverse economy. We're a port city. We have three airports, two of them international. We can do just-in-time inventory. We have a Houston gateway where we have um, huge rail networks that can, can provide the shipping conduit for us. So this is an opportunity to step up, suit up, and say, Let, let's Texas run it. I don't think any state, and I'm, I'm not just saying this because I happen to live in Houston, I don't think any state has the ability to do it like Texas does. And we've, if we wait and hold back, and I'm saying this to the engineering community, the planning community, ULI, the developers, Texas Medical Center, Greater Houston Partnership, whoever's gonna listen to this, GHBA, HGAC, we should be convening that panel immediately and saying, how do we say, come to Houston, let's show you how to do it. Because I think we could do something extraordinary and we've got the land, we've got the land to do it. Raymond, what are your thoughts? Well, I'm excited about the prospect as well, uh, without a doubt. We here in Houston particularly have been accustomed to adversity. 
look at the number of, I think about the number of hurricanes I've lived through just here in Houston in my own lifetime. And Houston always bounces back. We've had economic adversity. The 80s was a depression here in Houston. Last person out of Houston, turn off the lights. It was a mass exodus, but yet we learned from it. We became more diversified as a consequence of it, and we're stronger today than we ever have been. So I have every reason to believe in the aftermath of this episode, we're gonna be even stronger still, even better diversified, and probably more, much more assertive in attracting those industries for our folks to work in, because there is going to be a change. We're not going to need as many people in certain sec sectors as we have had in the past. Don't know how those demographics are going to change, but I can foresee, as Patty is, we can attract jobs here without a doubt. Houston is no longer just, you know, the oil town that it has been in the past, is the medical, it's shipping, it's technology, it's been everything. And we need and will do it better. You know, one of the things Dr. Mark Deitzer said last week, he, of course, whoop, he used to be at AM. He was our demographer at AM and he was our state demographer. He did a panel and he says that we're positioned in Texas specifically. We already had a good warehouse market. He thinks that we should be positioning for more warehouse growth and development on our major thoroughfares, on our our uh, Houston Gateway, Railroad Gateways, because those are um, land uses that everybody needs right now. The reason the warehouses um, were, were kind of capped at where they were is that our, our supply chain was 12,000 miles away. Well, now with everything coming back from China or coming back from wherever it's been, we, we should be capturing that rail network. And of course, our, our friends to the north are gonna have that same opportunity in Dallas at the Alliance facility, which is south of Dallas. And we, we our industry, needs to lead the charge on how we create the best warehouse economic development facilities to support the Port of Houston and free trade zones and use these economic development tools to help attract these warehouses here as opposed to another joining state. Let's bring the work and bring the jobs and bring the industries that are gonna benefit from this episode to Texas. Yeah, Mark's comment about that was uh, having to do with uh, it bringing a heightened awareness of our lack of preparedness with the necessary essentials that we go and as, as I've said to uh, the folks that I, where I shop is that, hey, I'm not here doing some panic buying. I'm here just to do stuff so that we can live life with washing clothes and cleaning house. And you can't get those basic goods these days because they're all, they're all uh, 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 choked because we didn't have all the supply here. Or to your, to your statement, uh, uh, Patty, about how um, some of the stuff that's not being manufactured here uh, in our home country, we're dependent on some other sources. Just something as simple as Diet Coke. I asked the guy at Sam's on Saturday, I said, this is two weeks in a row, we don't have Diet Coke. And he goes, it's because the chemicals were made in China. And there's been a big a big uh, 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 clampdown on the supply for, for, or for Diet Coke. So Diet Coke quantities are, are limited. So it's, it's got a big impact. So Mark's comment about that was, was very, was very point on. So. Well, my uh, advice is to drink Dr. Pepper. <laughs> well, Dr. Pepper is a good drink. It is very addictive. So moving on here, let's see here. Um, Truman, you had mentioned earlier about uh, the, the proliferation of the work uh, from home or the remote working environment. Let's just say, for example, um, and this is something that we've all talked about over the course of the last uh, some time, number of years, and that is, is that that type of an environment will eventually have an impact on our congestion. We've all said, uh, we don't think we can, we can build our way out of the congestion. We're, we're blessed and fortunate for the growth that we've seen in all of our businesses, but also to 
uh, for the opportunity to create uh, 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 developments that are uh, uh, signature and, and, and just great communities for people to, to live, work, and play. But so say, for instance, you, you, you grow the, the, the remote work environment and, and you take the, the cars off of the road uh, in, in whatever form or fashion, no matter how large or how big it is, or smaller or how big it is, do you think moving forward with the with the environment or the technology that is going to allow this or has allowed us to do this during this this episode, do you think that the Houston and surrounding region will be open to taking the technology we're using to get through these times today into the future to help our region in a positive way? The way that I'm seeing the work from home, you know, let's face it, there is I'm going to say the absolute major majority of our industry that has been home deployed. And you know what? We're still working. We're getting things done and think uh, projects. We're all moving forward. However, I do believe that there's going to be a certain amount of return to congestion, traffic, and what have you. I still believe there's still opportunities for that home deployment. But there's also going to be that uh, necessity for uh, physical and social contact on, and collaboration. You can only do so much on teams. Uh, there's, let's not downplay the opportunities uh, that exist when you can get a group of folks together and brainstorm and you actually feel like you've accomplished something. So therefore, it's going to modulate somehow. I'm just not sure how that's going to modulate. But I can foresee that we're not going to necessarily need as much physical office space as we move forward. Now, as it affects transit, with lower traffic loads, if it were to stay that way, or let's say uh, bounce back to a 50% level, does that give us an opportunity to transform some of our uh, transportation arteries into transit arteries. Let's all face it, I think that uh, Houston and the BRT is going to do quite well in so much that you don't need as much heavy infrastructure in order to uh, implement it. All we're really looking for is can you put it in um, isolated corridors such that it can run at higher speeds. That's the biggest issue that we have. Look at our fixed rail. It's not that it doesn't work, it's just that it's slow. Well, the BRT has every reason to be able to work faster than all that in the event that we can have isolated uh, corridors uh, for the facilities. The bus system is already here. We're just gonna have to re, you know, using Metro's word, reimagine it as we move forward into the 21st century and how it's gonna better implement and better provide uh, services for our community. Those are the things that I'm seeing coming up. You know, you talk about transit and buses, because I, I happen to agree with Truman. The other part of this, though, is um, a lot of, of, lot of data is being collected by Metro right now on how many people are riding what bus line. Up until COVID, our main bus line, or most heavily used bus line was Route 84, which was West Hopper, 1093 from Fort Bend County, to, um, to downtown. Now we're seeing people needing to get to work, right? These nurses, doctors, x-ray techs are needing to get to work. We have patients that need to get to the doctor. And whether we like it or not, we still have a large percentage of our population that is transit dependent, not because it's cool, but because they have to. They, don't, they can't afford the cost of, of operating a vehicle and insurance. And I think that if if we're going to model a potential new future, it might be, what does Metro look like if they had more just-in-time transit services? Where, and they were actually looking at that before COVID-19 arrived. And I think now is a perfect time to evaluate where do we need our transit services? How many people live within so many miles of a transit stop? How, where do they get their food and groceries? Where do they get their groceries? Um, some of these, the, the term food desert exists because of, of um, people saying that 
almost blaming the retail industry that they aren't serving a neighborhood. Well, they're not, it's not that they're not serving the neighborhood. There's a two or 3% margin in a grocery store. They just couldn't afford it. It wasn't because they didn't want to. It was because we haven't done enough to redevelop our neighborhoods in our region. And I'll say region because we have it in Harris County as well as the city limits of Houston, where we have community development target block grant neighborhoods, CDBG neighborhoods that make less than $50,000, $60,000 for a family of four. So when you have that kind of um, income, you're not buying processed foods at HEB and Bunker Hill. You're buying what you can afford to buy. And if your grocery store is left, then you're going and you're buying junk food. So I think the transit, um, the transit component of connecting neighborhoods to not just the, the doctor's office, but to also to the grocery stores and to their employment and looking at just-in-time service. How can you do a, and Metro has it now for Metro Lyft, if I wanted to go to the doctor and I was eligible, I could call Metro Lyft and be picked up at my house and taken to, with a group of other people in my Spring Branch neighborhood and be taken to the medical center. I think we're gonna see that kind of opportunity happening. And so they, like, that Truman said about imagining, you know, reimagine Metro, I think we're going to reimagine it again for what kind of transit services we can come up with to be responsive to our communities, all communities. Well, this, there's no question about it that, that Houston is uh, lagging from the rest of the country in certain areas with respect to a, uh, a higher density transit system. We've all been having that conversation uh, back for, for decades and whatnot. And do you think, do either one of y'all, so I mean, Truman, you mentioned it uh, by the BRT. Uh, do we think that, that it will, it will grow some other ideas out into some of the, uh, into some of the suburban areas and what, what can be done in order to uh, uh, solve some of the transportation crisis in the, in, in the far out places rather than just in the center? Well, first of all, in my opinion, absolutely. Most of our major freeways already have a HOV or hot lane uh, on them right now. Well, if we have uh, a reduced uh, traffic load on the main lanes, then that may quite honestly open up those HOV and hot lanes to rapid bus service uh, out to our suburban areas. So that's one thing that I'm seeing. The other thing that we're really missing here in this area is that we don't have circulators. And what I mean by a circulator is we've always had more or less de destination bound. I start from point A and I go into the center city. And if I want to go somewhere else, I've got to transfer and then go outbound. Well, that was the uh, first focus of the uh, reimagining the bus system to get rid of that you know, uh, axle and spoke uh, type bus service that I think that is going to, as Patty saying, go to a next step. We don't really have anything that, let's say, runs in circles that can intersect all those. For example, like we have our vehicles on the loop, the Beltway, and now the Grand Parkway. What else can we do in order to interconnect things better by people not having to go so far inbound in order to go outbound again? So therefore, I'm thinking that uh, those opportunities are going to manifest themselves. And quite honestly, I just think that the rubber tire vehicle is probably going to be the mode that we do at first. Now, people smarter than I am, I think will probably come up with some next evolution or something even better. I just don't know what that is right now. Drone transportation. Well, I can imagine cows being carried off by a drone, but... Not really. Um <laughs> <laughs> uh, continuing on, um embracing the mindset shift where people live post COVID nineteen. Um this is this is that deal of, of where do we go from here? Um we hear that the uh, COVID-19 pandemic will possibly have an impact on higher density living in an urban environment and that the suburban sprawl may increase as a result of the stop the spread lockdown that the nation has faced over the past 30 plus days. 
How do you both feel that this recent experience associated with COVID-19 uh, pandemic will have an impact on the single family residential development trends moving forward in the next decade that's upon us? And I know that we've touched on that at the beginning, but I'd like to wrap up this, this, this uh, podcast with going a little bit more in depth into that because I've got some other thoughts here based on an article I read. So, but, but moving forward, uh, share your thoughts on, on that, how, that, how this will uh, impact that model of a more urban environment versus a suburban sprawl. Because Mark Dodger had indicated uh, that, uh, get ready, small cities, we're coming. So I'll leave it, leave it with that. Truman? Oh, Patty, you first. Obviously, we were all on the same Mark Dotzer um, uh, webinar, but I happen to agree with him that there will be, um, if you, did you see the recent zip code map to where the, um, the COVID-19 uh, results that the people who have tested positive was printed this weekend, and all the elected officials were sharing it, obviously, across the internet. And... Um, I think that people will start saying, where can I live where I still have quality of life? I still can get to the Texas Medical Center. And, and now that I'm working remote, I can be at the school district I want to be. And I don't have, maybe we don't have two parents having to work two jobs because mom can stay home or dad can stay home. And they can be in Katy or they can be in Tomball or they could be in Sugarland or et cetera because now they can work remote. And um, what Mark was basically saying is it was kind of happening before. And he also prefaced it by saying the millennials are getting, having children. They are picking their location based on schools as well. So they are going to, and they were raised basically in the suburbs, primarily around here. So um, he thinks that they are coming to, um, into their own. And if you notice what HGAC has been doing with the livable centers and all of those are in our suburban areas, they are becoming the new town centers. So you see what happens in Pearland. And of course, Pearland grew, I personally think, because of Shadow Creek Ranch and how that just introduced 4,400 4, acres of high-end, large-scale development, $2 billion in 10 years, and it changed that city almost overnight. And um, the same with, with Fort Bend County. When Fort Bend County did their first economic development plan in 1992, they only had 30% of the people live, work, and play, and educate in Fort Bend County. They came out with five goals, live, work, play, educate, shop in Fort Bend County. And now, 20 years later, 80% of the people that um, work in Fort Bend County live in Fort Bend County. So you're going to start seeing that employment uh, chasing the suburban market. You're seeing it already. You saw what happened when Exxon went into, um, into the development there at the Grand Parkway in 45 Spring Woods. Of course, they were feeding off of the woodlands, already a mega employment center. But you're going to see employment opportunities moving to the suburban areas. And then you're going to see the jobs chasing those. Daikin. Daikin wants to double in, in employment. They happen to be four miles from the Grand Parkway. So that means they're 30 miles or 35 miles from downtown Houston. The traffic, when you see the traffic pulling into the Daikin exit ramp, it's coming from the east. So I think you're gonna see, I think Mark is right. I think you're just gonna see a, a suburban resurgence. And I think it's gonna become urbanized. I think our county already is urbanized. We've been saying this for as long as I can remember that the county needs to have urban power. Urban, it needs to be given the same context of an urban population, um, rules, regulations, funding authority. So I, I think Mark is right. I, I think that there'll still be a Houston. We gotta keep Houston strong. And you're still gonna have densities around Houston continuing because we've, you know, we've got 70 square miles of underdeveloped and developed real estate, or underdeveloped and vacant real estate inside the city limits. So you're still gonna you know, fill that up plus more. 
but we still have a city of deed restrictions. So some of these cities, like in Crewman's neighborhood, those deed restrictions aren't gonna allow further densification where there's restrictions in place or where there's the, the um, Truman, I can't remember the name of the lot, single lot rules for chapter 42, but where neighborhoods have self-imposed Special minimum lot size restrictions. Minimum lot size restrictions. So some of that's going to come into play, but um, I think you're going to just see both, Jim. I don't. I don't see. Um, I see that. I see the region changing, and, and unlike L.A., where they're they're stopped at the Pacific Ocean on one side and the mountains on the other, we don't have a limit, a, a physical limit to our our growth in the suburban areas. So. I think you're just, I think Mark Deitzer is right. You're going to see some growth and you're going to see these small cities kind of becoming their own employment centers. What I'm seeing is that here in the near term, I think we're going to have a lot more, uh, let's say, flight to the suburbs as a consequence of, I'm going to say, fear-based uh, aspects of the COVID-19 on the other hand, I think that part of it was already starting, uh, as uh, Dr. Dutzer had uh, identified, that as millennials were coming to age, that and being married and wanting to raise families, that that was all you know already causing part of that shift. But at the same time, that there's going to be a heightened, uh, I'm going to say, uh, focus on our in-city neighborhoods that what has happened here in the past is not gonna be the same thing going forward, but it's gonna be, I think, a redevelopment of more of our, uh, a vertical mixed use as well as neighborhood uh, commercial, you know, be retail or what have you, where people can actually walk to the corner grocery store and do whatever, or go to the corner uh, coffee shop and hang out, whatever the case may be. For those communities that already have a school in it, I can see that being further enhanced, provided that the uh, governmental uh, folks, school district, as well as city, county, as the case may be, will work together in providing facilities together. Um, the thing that I know is gonna happen is change, but I don't believe it's all gonna be all one and none of the other. I think it's going to be uh, bits and pieces of both. Is this something that you guys both think that might uh, change your suburban uh, single family residential development uh, more into the mindset of a master plan community concept where you have uh, the complete A to Z uh, resources and infrastructure in those in those developments like you would much find in a uh, more of an urban core say so 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 say like down there at uptown or in midtown or in in downtown where you've got everything all right there um, do you think that'll that'll reshape the way some of the some of the single-family residential developments are being done out in the suburban areas I think absolutely. The thing that I'm looking at is this. It still is a matter of size. For example, is it going to be a master plan community on 100 acres? I don't think so. I think that you have to have a certain amount of critical mass. And I'm going to say that may be in the 500 acre plus or minus category. Or the size of, you know, I'm going to say some of our larger MUDs, individual MUDs that get created in the county area that they themselves can actually be those master plan communities. However, I do believe that we were already headed that way because of the larger land holdings, uh, whether it be Sienna Ranch, uh, Town Lake, master plan communities are still going to be prevalent here in the area. They were just, in my mind, blazing the trail to do the same thing, but as, at a smaller scale, but still attaining that critical mass and let's say that's around 500 acres. Yeah, I, I agree with Truman. And I do think that there is a challenge um, though, um, both for, especially in the city, especially older parts of the city. And remember, we got 34 cities in Harris County, so including Houston. One of the things that, um, that the definition of infrastructure to support, whether it's a suburban urbanization or continued urbanization of Houston, 
just like we talked earlier about us old folks are getting better at tech savvy solutions than we ever thought we were uh, going to be. We have to, we have to add fiber to the critical thinking of infrastructure expansion for both urban and suburban areas. Because we are seeing, I was reading, um, it happened to be Verizon, on how many drop calls, how many, how much pressure is on the internet system because of everybody using their cell phones at the same time, eight hours, nine hours, 10 hours a day, because nobody's at their offices. And then this video takes more bandwidth. So one of the things that they're, they're finding in HISD is that kids cannot get their lesson plans because neighborhoods such as community development block grant neighborhoods don't have access to high uh, quality internet. And some of our small cities, some of our suburban cities may not have access to internet or have access to the fiber. It may not have reached um, some of these farther um, neighborhoods. So we, in order to prepare ourselves for that um, potential of both urbanization of suburbia, as well as um, continued urbanization of Houston and its surrounding uh, communities is we need to add fiber to the infrastructure dialogue for engineering and make sure that we have internet for all. Some people want to do whatever Medicare for all. I'd like to have internet for all because when I see and hear from neighborhoods that kids are not able to do their lesson plans, we're leaving a generation of children behind because in three months they'll lose all of what they learned the first the first two thirds of the school year. And now we're gonna have an education gap. So we need to step up and figure out how to change the franchise agreements, change how um, we, you know, the reason that internet was not allowed to be regulated by cities back in the 90s was because the Congress was afraid of uneven rules from city to city, county to county, state to state. Well, you know, now we don't have that. We're, we've got internet everywhere. Now we've got to let Congress say to, to the cell tower people and to the internet companies, it is time that we have internet for all because we need, we need to educate these kids because this episode is not a single episode. We've had 10 or so pandemics according to history now in the last 20 years, it's just nothing like this one. So we need to be back to that word prepared in our infrastructure for our urbanization of our communities with internet in order to allow this suburbanization to happen. Yeah, it's, there's no question about it that as we continue to grow outwardly, we're gonna need to continue to provide the resources from a technology standpoint in order to uh, serve those communities. I know that the advancement of 5G technology, the cellular 5G technology is gonna be a big game changer from what I've been told. Don't know that, but we'll see. Um, Kind of wrapping up that conversation in, in our podcast here, uh, I read an article today that kind of plays a little bit of a different spin on, on that question of, is it going to change the model from a tighter urban to a more suburban type of an atmosphere like Mark Dotzer had indicated? And um, this was an article that came from the Greater Houston Partnership that in summary says, that um, this pandemic or this uh, episode is going to reinforce higher density because of companies consolidating their uh, their uh, um, uh, organizations in certain cities as air travel continues to be restricted and it may really this may even really have a big uh, impact on air travel as we know it moving forward but then it also mentions that this is going to change some of the mindset from an industrial base to more of a knowledge and research base so uh ending question share your thoughts about uh about that uh, uh, uh thought and concept um, you know, um, I have spent, I've got a journal on healthy communities. I have a journal I'm doing on subdivision design changes. I have a journal on economic development tools, and I have a page in that journal for what happens to industries and how do you 
how to how does Houston position itself with um, you know I think biotech is a natural for us I think um, the port and all the industries that need to benefit from the port is a is logical for us but when it comes to corporate headquarters that is a blank page on my journal because I think it depends on the industry I think it depends on who what industries fit the best for us and then some industries you know Silicon Valley that may be that may be they have to be there because that's where that concentration is I think it's going to it's like I said, I've got a black page. I have not been able to to noodle enough about what happens when air air and and flights and corporate travel become so chancy that people don't want to fly anymore or they reduce their flying because they've already said restaurants, by the way, the National Restaurant Association has already said they're looking at the new model for four tops, 10 tops, two tops, and how far apart chairs have to be, or this indoor-outdoor dining opportunity where you can uh, make safer dining choices because you're not just enclosed. But the other part is also gonna be the technology that I'm hoping comes out of this is sensors that can go into planes or go into offices that you leave the, the conference room and you, you hit the button and it zaps the surfaces of your conference room or it zaps the airplane seats and trays and it automatically cleans them so then the next group of passengers gets on the cleaning is better so you you change that but those are like the unknowns i mean how does that how do we get back to normal is is my blank page i just my crystal ball is a little fuzzy I guess the question is, is what is the new normal moving forward post COVID-19? Truman, what are your thoughts? Well, I think we're developing that new normal every day of the week as we, as we continue to live through uh, the current happenings. Uh, I don't think that those final pages have been written yet. And I believe that we're going to continue to evaluate modulate, try different things, see what works, throw out what doesn't work as we move forward, whatever form or shape they may take. I can envision, and I'm, I'm just kind of laughing to myself about, gosh, this would be great on, uh, on air flights, first class seats for everybody. You know, have enough room to move around so you don't feel like you're packed in like a sardine anymore. Um, whether that uh, happens or not, maybe uh, low oil prices, that there is a benefit to the airline industry in the long run, we'll see. I think that, uh, I'm not sure if I agree with everything that the partnership is saying. I don't know that there's gonna be a, uh, a new emphasis on more focus on the urbanization. I think there's gonna be that focus on the urbanization for better preparedness and how we're going to transform our existing into what's going to be better, better for the future with the new and rebuilt. Um, whether it's going to be denser or what have you because of industry consolidations, I guess I'm just not buying into that in so much that, well, we've established that we can do it from anywhere and we can be on the ranch in Montana and still have the same connectivity. We were in an apartment building in downtown Houston. So I'm not sure I'm buying into all those aspects, but my mind is open. Let's see what the future holds and let's roll with the punches. And I know this, I feel comfortable with this. We as Houstonians, we know how to roll with the punches. Lord knows we've been given enough over uh, the last many decades, certainly over my lifetime. And I have no reason to believe that we're gonna have anything better in the future, but we're just going to get better in bouncing back. Amen. I agree with that. Agree. You know, as I as I said through this pandemic, I said, uh, uh, and in my business playbook of almost 35 years, the last chapter was on economic recession. There's no chapter for pandemic, so we're all learning as we go on this. So, but. Uh, well, hey, listen, this, is, this has been a great conversation. We've run just a little bit over, but I think we're in great shape. Patty and Truman, 
I can't thank you enough on behalf of uh, everyone uh, uh, here at EHRA Engineering. We certainly do appreciate you guys taking time out of your busy schedules and, and joining us for our first ever uh, podcast uh, uh, under uh, called the The Ground Down. So um, stay tuned, listeners, and stay tuned, colleagues, because uh, we're gonna we're gonna have more of these as time goes on in various different concepts and and uh, and themes and, and subject matters. So again, thank y'all very much. Uh, we look forward to uh, having you guys as guests on a podcast again in the future. Uh, y'all, uh, please stay safe and stay healthy, and uh, let's keep working together and keep this uh, keep this great city moving forward. So thank y'all again. Y'all have a great afternoon. You too. Thank you for having Bye. us. Bye thank now. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye. We hope that you have enjoyed today's episode. If you would like to hear more episodes of The Ground Down, please visit www.ehrainc.com for updates. Make sure to check out EHRA Engineering on LinkedIn, Facebook, and YouTube for all kinds of cool content. 